Justine, we have a sponsor this month. I'm so excited. This one's near and dear to my heart. Your own chapter. Alpha, beta. Woo-woo. UConn in the house. Shout out to the Huskies. (laughs) Go Huskies. But thank you so much to Alpha Beta for sponsoring today's episode. You girls are great. We thank you. And we appreciate your listens. Yay! And if anyone else would like to sponsor, they can hop on to lks.org and hop and find the Lamb Talks page. And they can email Erin Rogala, our fabulous headquarters extraordinaire, and she'll get you hooked up. Welcome to Lamb Talks, the official podcast of Lambda Kappa Sigma. I'm Sarah Kaboyan, and I'm a community pharmacist, Lambda Kappa Sigma sister, and a lamb for life. And I'm Justine Dixon. I'm an ambulatory care pharmacist, Lambda Kappa Sigma sister, and a lamb for life. Our mission is to elevate our sisters in pharmacy by connecting them with our esteemed alumni network. Tune into each episode to meet our new guests, Stay connected with your fellow sisters and learn something new about the world of pharmacy. Hey, Sarah, it's been a little while. Hi, Justine. How are you? I'm doing really well. How about yourself? Oh, I'm good. I'm surviving flu shot season. Oh, goodness. Well, I'm just really excited about fall in general. I love all things fall. Mm. Minus pumpkin spice lattes are a little too sweet for me but just all the colored leaves. How are they up in Maine? We are definitely seeing some prime foliage. Mm. It's been lovely. Yeah, I drove back from Connecticut this weekend. It was a lot of colors along the roads, but then still kind of green in the mountain region. So it's still still getting towards the the peak color. So I'm excited for that to see that in the next couple of weeks. Yes. I love the pure colors. So the trees that are pure red, mm. pure yellow, pure mm. orange. But the yellow always gets me. Oh, yeah, me too. So good. So good. How is your flu shot season going? It's going strong. I'm happy to say that a lot of people have been getting their flu shots earlier. Um, they're definitely following the recommendations to get one. Um, our Um, stores have been doing very well in terms of their flu shot goals. Um, So it's been really great to help the communities that we're located in have access to the flu shots. And it's always nice to do clinics because, you know, it's right before the holiday season. So it's kind of like a nice time where the places that are still in person, Mm -hmm. um, we're safely able to still hold clinics, um, which is great to still kind of have that interaction that we utilize to help make connections. And you told me before that you were thinking that you were having a shortage on the high dose flu shots. Is that still the case? Or did you guys get some in? I would say we're still having some trouble keeping it in stock. Um, I haven't really heard what our next shipment is. um, But there are alternatives that people are getting. So there's the flu block is typically what we give when we don't have any sort of recommended or branded high dose or over 65 shot because it's still a quadrivalent shot and Mm -hmm. covers what's needed. Did you get your flu shot? I did. I got it in September. Have you gotten yours? I did. I got mine like a week or two ago. 
Oh, good. And it, it takes about two weeks to become active, yeah, so it's important think, to get it. I think I'm good. But, I mean, the person who gave me my shot, it was she's like, it's a quick pinch and legit didn't feel a thing. And I complimented her on that afterwards. She wasn't a pharmacist. She was a nurse, but that's okay. It was great. Do you get it through work? Yeah. Yeah, it's required, so no big mm-hmm. deal. It was quick. Literally painless. <laughs> so everyone should be getting their flu shots. You probably have to for for work anyways, but just a little throw it out there. I'm sure you guys are all giving flu shots or learning how to give flu shots or, you know, getting them yourselves. So flu season for sure. Hopefully to help keep second wave, third wave of COVID a little bit better than it could be. Well, so we haven't done an O-Tilt in a little while. What do you got for us, Sarah? I know. We've been learning so much. We have um, so much. It's always hard for us to kind of choose an O-Tilt, not because we aren't learning every day, but rather the opposite just seen. So We're just much. learning so much. Um, but I decided, you know, we love a good theme here on Lamb Talks. Mm-hmm. And I decided to be thematic in regards to, so for context, um, Justine and I are recording on October 12th right now. Um, That's when we're talking. So it's Indigenous Peoples Day. It's Women in Pharmacy Day. We're a couple days before Founders Day of Lambda Kappa Sigma. So lots happening. Um, So I decided that I um, would do this O-Tilt. I actually stumbled upon this article. I think I was looking up something flu shot related on the CDC website and I came across a little link or article that said flu disparities among racial and ethnic minority groups. And Justine, I think this correlates with um, a little something called the Women's Health Initiative. Bing, 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 bing. That's what I was just going to say. Look at you, Sarah. So on target. For this biennium. Way to go. For this biennium. So as most of you hopefully know, if not, your O-Tilt is the Women's Health Initiative. Um, Every biennium, so two years, the fraternity votes on some sort of health topic or rather initiative that we want to focus on as a fraternity, raise awareness. Each chapter should be doing work about educating and learning and projects related to this. Um, So this year's is, or this biennium's is health disparities. So on the CDC website, when I found this article that is titled Flu Disparities Among Racial and Ethnic Minority Groups, as I said, I'm very excited that it really correlates well with our health initiative because as pharmacists, it's kind of up to us to close some of these gaps and see why are these groups of people not getting the flu shot or why might they not have access to getting the flu shot and how can we ensure that they're staying out of the hospital and remaining protected this flu season so this little article it i call it an article it's more um, of some statistic talking points and i would say there are a lot of hyperlinks that I did follow one of them, which I found interesting, and I'll go into that in a minute. But um, if I didn't say it before, it was last reviewed on October 5th of 2020. It starts with talking about analysis of flu hospitalization data, and it goes through um, some of the categories that 
we've seen in terms of <clears throat> classifying different ethnic minority groups, um, whether or not these are what people prefer, I think is what I'm still learning, but the way they use it here in the article is it includes non-Hispanic Black, non-Hispanic American Indian or Alaska Native, and Hispanic or Latino people. And it assessed a 10-year window of flu season. So it started in 2009 through 2010, and it went through 2018, 2019. So it did the basically 2010 decade, if you will. Um, and non-Hispanic Black persons had the highest flu-rated hospitalization rates. They did it over um, out of 100,000 people. So it was 68 per 100,000. And then it classifies um, in descending order. And then with other data, it talks about some other studies that were looked at. Um, one statistic says, because people of color may be at higher risk for getting flu or developing serious illness, resulting in hospitalization, flu vaccination is especially important for these communities. CDC recommends that almost everyone six months and over get a seasonal flu vaccine by year and, or by each year by the end of October. So that means it's coming up soon. And then it does talk about that flu vaccination rates lag among racial and ethnic minority groups. And then it basically is assessing adults, so 18 and over. And for that, it says that 38% um, among Hispanic or Latino persons, 41% among non-Hispanic Black persons, 42% among American Indian or Alaska Native persons, or 52% among Asian persons. So this is good data to know kind of who we can work with and help in getting the flu shot. So then they talk about what the CDC is doing to address flu disparities among racial and ethnic minority groups. It says they're working to increase flu vaccination rates and things that they're talking about is providing additional funding, purchasing additional doses of pediatric flu vaccine and adult vaccine, and they're engaging with partners, developing customized outreach to the ethnic minority communities. So it sounds like they're using cultural specific messaging and linguistically tailored content. So using things in their language, using things that they can understand. And then when I was clicking on the hyperlinks, one of the things I found is this thing called the, so it's abbreviated the NIVDP resource kit. It stands for the National Influence of Vaccination Disparities Partnership. So it hasn't been updated recently based on what I'm looking at, but it's basically this document um, that exists. I got through it through CDC, but potentially if we're allowed, I can post it or we can find a way to distribute it or you can reach out to us if you would like to see it um, or have us send it to you. So it talks about the flu. It talks about, um, it says barriers within disparate populations. It talks about what health disparities are in the U.S. And I think it really talks about, um, kind of provides a step-by-step -step kit 
to how to connect to these different communities to kind of hold flu clinics in these communities that have these ethnic minority populations. Hmm. Pretty great. I yeah. was going to ask you if they had any suggestions on how to increase, um, you know, flu vaccination rates, um, you know, among different ethnic groups that they find are struggling. And I think the other question is, is maybe getting to the source of, of why they don't want to, or is it, or why they don't get it? You know, is it a, they don't want to, um, do people are, is it a, um, transportation situation, you know, should, should there be more mobile units that go on, out into the community? Um, is it a distrust in the medical, um, you know, in, in hospitals and medical professionals and, you know, vaccines in general? Um, you know, we don't really know, but I, I, that may also play into a part that, you know, we may not be able to break through just with some advertisements. Right. It does address, like Ford, I said, the barriers. Those are some of the things that they talked about. Mm -hmm. um, it talks about that these different groups are those who are commonly uninsured, might have low income. And we have kind of learned recently, I would say, a lot of the systemic reasons as to why that's the case. Mm -hmm. um, some things say resistance from healthcare providers to set example by getting vaccinated or recommended vaccination. It says, for pregnant women in general, lack of education on the risks posed by influenza and the benefits of vaccination both to mother and baby. Um, for people constantly relocating due to immigration status or poverty, mm -hmm. the difficulty of medical follow-ups and accurate record keeping, mm -hmm. which is huge if you think about it. Absolutely. Um, we don't share medical records. Mm -hmm. You might be using one pharmacy one day and depending on which pharmacy is offering the best, I guess, yeah. offer to, an in incentive to getting your flu shot. Each year you might be getting your flu shot somewhere else or if you're moving a different area and then you don't have the best records as yeah. to. Yeah. Really so yeah, I, I thought that the, the, this document existed was really interesting um it sounds like it could stand some updates updates it looks like the date is 2015 so again five years that's typically mm -hmm. a good time to assess documents but right. i thought it was still poignant enough to bring up and looks like it has some further information that we could look at based on the fact that we have this mm -hmm. initiative yeah great job really good hotel very timely but all right, so my OTILT today is a timely update in dosing changes for Trulicity or Dilaglutide. That's uh, the results of the phase three double blind randomized parallel arm trial for um, which is called award 11 for Dilaglutide, the higher doses of three milligrams and 4.5 milligrams uh, just recently came out in September. And uh, what it did is it looked at the higher doses and found that um, there was superiority with the 4.5 milligram dose for an A1C and body weight reductions in comparison to 1.5 and then showed significant improvements with both the 3 and the 4.5. Um, so the primary endpoint was the change in the A1C from baseline to week 36 and the secondary endpoints was the change in body weight um, and the proportion of patients achieving an A1C of less than 7 at week 36. So 
I don't want to list off all the, all the data, but um, based on the treatment regimen, both doses showed significant A1C and weight reductions, but only the 4.5 achieves significantly superior reductions versus the 1.5. And surprisingly with um, dulaglutide right now, we've got a 0.75 and then a 1.5 dose. And, you know, there weren't huge increases in side effects or no differences in side effects. The side effects were the same, even with the higher doses of just nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea is the most common. Um, and uh, so the trial really kind of confirmed their expectations that the higher doses would lead to superior blood glucose and weight reductions in people that have type 2 diabetes without, and thankfully it doesn't also cause, you know, a really severe GI upset with it. So it is now giving us an option to further increase our patients above the 1.5 to 3 or even 4.5 um, if they can manage that um, without the side effects. And it also provides some weight loss as well. Um, and I use Trulicity in the internal medicine clinic all the time. It's really helpful for patients, even at the 1.5. So if patients are able to go up to the higher doses, then I think that'd be great. So we should start seeing this coming into the pharmacies. Sarah, I don't know if you've seen the higher doses come in yet. Um, but the three and the 4.5 should be coming soon if they're not there already. I have not seen them, but we certainly have many patients who have been titrating up from the 0.75. Mm-hmm. So it's, is it, so typically they'll do one pen, which is either 0.75 or 1.5 weekly. Mm-hmm. So now would it be three weekly or 4.5 weekly? Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating because that's normally what their monthly dose would be. Exactly. So now they're basically doing, so if you think about it, it's four pence per box. Yep. So if you have 1.5, then it's like a 4.5 total per month. And then they're able to use all of that per week and achieve much better results. That's right. so fascinating. Yeah. And actually, I can't remember exactly, and don't quote me on this, but I think the reduction that they saw in Trulicity 4.5 was actually um, very, very similar to the reduction that they saw in the Ozempic one milligram. So mm-hmm. the, re- the reduction in A1C with Trulicity 1.5 isn't as strong as much as we see with Ozempic one milligram. So, but once you get up to the 4.5 of Trulicity, now they're more equivalent. So neat, neato. That's awesome. Yeah. And I do so- really- or Trulicity for patients who don't aren't familiar with injecting um, or are scared of needles because that way they don't have to put on the needle and see the needle and it's really easy rather than showing them how to like dial the dose they really don't have to do anything it's so easy to use yeah so you don't have to put that needle on there you don't have to like look at it you know open it attach it and dial the dose so it's great and it provides that weight loss too for a lot of patients that also will help with blood sugar control so is it the lower A1C means better management and hopefully less morbidity and mortality? Exactly. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. So, so I'm curious more. once the 3.5 or excuse me, the three and the 4.5 is manufactured from a community side, I wonder how soon I'll be seeing it physically in my pharmacy and then also how soon will it end up on insurance formularies yeah, and will already, they require a PA? Um, I would say they shouldn't require a PA if they're covering the other strengths. 
Um, but an article I saw, it said it should be there at the end of September. And I think um, our resident I know did a little clinical pearl the other day, and I think she called around to some pharmacies and they couldn't order it yet, but then our pharmacy could order it, but they don't have it in yet. So um, I think in the next couple of weeks, I would say it should be rolling in. Okay. I'll um, make a listening. note. Yeah. I was gonna say, I'll make a note to report back on a future episode if it sure. comes in at all. Yeah. Into my store. Or if any of you see it, write into us mm -hmm. and send, send a picture or something. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we have a really special guest there. Do you want to talk about our guest today? Oh my gosh. Yes, I do. So our guest is a sister very close to me. We were in the same collegiate chapter during the same time during school. She's a couple years ahead of me, but I truly always looked up to this sister. Her name is Jessica. She goes by Jessie Crowley. So we have Jessie Crowley on this week or this month. She's a graduate of MCPHS University, and she is also a community pharmacist. But her story is really fascinating where she graduated from school, she started working, and then she took the plunge to follow her dreams to travel and did some really neat adventures all over the globe. And then when the time came to basically come back home, um, she's been living on the West Coast, she was able to reemerge as a pharmacist, and she's somewhat kind of picked up where she left off, if you will, um, and really back to developing her career and killing the game. Um, I always really looked up to Jessie because she's always provided an additional outlook to things. Like normally you're like, oh, some people think this way, some people think that way. Jessie always provides like a really fresh perspective and always gave personally me some insight like, oh, I should look into this more. I should learn about this more. That's an interesting way to assess things. And I just always really valued what she brought to the table. Um, so I'm so excited for everyone to hear from her. She was one of our panelists during the diversity and inclusion panel during convention. She was on um, other calls and programming during convention. So she's definitely um, kind of re-emerging as a lamp for life, I would say. Yeah. And we're really excited to hear her stories and really excited to hear from her. So we, yeah. will, be, we will be right back. Okay, so we are here with the fabulous one and only Jessica, Jessie Crowley. Welcome to Lamb Talks, darling. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. We're so excited. Um, you guys may remember Jessie from convention. She was one of the panelists during the diversity and inclusion panel. And we really were inspired by a lot of her messages. She and Jessie and I were in Alpha Chapter together. So we wanted to have her on the show. So she is our guest. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I really appreciate the invite. I wasn't expecting it, to be honest, but it means a lot. So I appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys. Well, we're, we're really excited to have somebody from the West Coast. We've only had yeah. some like more East Coast, middle of the country folk. Um, but 
West Coast. West Coast best friend. <laughs> but, you know, we want, we're really interested to see how pharmacy practice is different. And especially because you came from Alpha Chapter, so you did come from the East Coast, but you somehow migrated yourself all the way over the West Coast. Um, so we're really excited to hear a little bit about how pharmacy practice is different and, and what your job is like and how you kind of came to, to be where you are. So I guess, can you maybe start us off with what you are currently doing, what, you know, your job is, um, over in the West Coast, where you're living, all that jazz. Yeah. So I currently live in Los Angeles, California. Um, so like Sarah said, I'm from Alpha Chapter. So I went to MCP in Boston. After I graduated from Boston, I actually worked in San Francisco for a few years. Um, so I'd worked in retail at CVS working as a pharmacy manager. After a few years, I convinced my boyfriend to quit his job with me and travel the world for a year and a half. Um, and he only agreed to do it if I agreed to move to LA with him after. So that's how I ended up back here. Um, I actually recently switched pharmacies. So I had worked for CVS for 10 and a half years. And I just recently, like two weeks ago, started working at Albertsons. Um, at Pavilions is the, the specific grocery store under Albertsons. And I uh, am actually working as a staff pharmacist for the first time in like four and a half years and it's nice it is like it's so good to not be responsible for everyone else in the pharmacy right now because it you know whether you realize it or not or no matter how good your pharmacy is and how well it functions there's always a little bit of anxiety and you have to be on edge all the time because everything's on your license so it's nice to not have to worry about that i only have to work like three or four days a week now because uh, we work eight to 12 hour shifts. I had four days off this week. It is so great. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. So obviously my first thing that piqued my interest was, I think we need to hear about your travel. Yes. I was well, like, I need, I need to know how travel. you decided where you went. Like, that is, I think, something that so many people want to do. Everyone's terrified to do it. Like, how did you make that? Work? Were you like a travel blogger? Like, how, how did <laughs> and, like, you walk did us you through this? like how far before you were like day one of the trip? Were you planning in terms of like savings and making like job arrangements, house arrangements? Like, if someone wanted to like almost recreate it, like, we're super interested. That's a whole like three hour podcast. <laughs> Honestly, I could talk about this forever, um, but it's nice because it, I've actually been back for like two years now, so I haven't had to talk about it for a while. When we first came back, everyone was like, tell us everything. So we felt like broken records, just saying the same thing over and over again. Um, but basically, there was one point where I was working in San Francisco where I just had this vision of myself at like 65 years old. And looking back on my life at the sheer number of hours that I had spent in a pharmacy and how much time I could have done other things. Um, like many people, I have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of student loans. And that vision really scared me. And it made me think, you know, if I don't pay these loans for a year and a half, they're still going to be there. It's not going to make a difference. It's still going to take me a long time to pay it off. And I have the energy to do it now. I don't have anything holding me down like kids um, or pets, anything like that. Um, so I presented it to my boyfriend. This was in like in June of 2016 and he agreed to it. 
And so from there, we kind of set a date of like, realistically, how much time do we need to save? Um, and we gave ourselves till March. So we spent nine months saving up, um, which really isn't a lot of time at all. He actually quit his job as a paraprofessional working with autistic children to work as a bartender and a waiter in San Francisco. Um, he was making so much money doing it. I don't know how it is in the states you live in, but in California, you actually get minimum wage here. You don't get under it. So he was getting minimum wage on top of the tips and just like, he had so much money. He was like, holy shit, this is the, the most money I've ever had in my life. Um, so one of the things that was really frustrating was I had a lease on a car that I had to pay and I couldn't get out of the lease without paying for the rest of the lease. I ended up having to buy the car because it ended up being cheaper monthly payments to buy the car rather than to lease it. Um, so we kind of like brainstormed over nine months and each of us made a list of the places that we absolutely 100% had to go to. And then there were places that we really wanted to go to and then places that it would be cool to go to. Um, obviously like the biggest constraint and determinant for where we were going was financial. You know, if you're only saving for nine months, it's really not a long time. It brings perspective how far the US dollar goes, but at the same time, you know, it's gonna run out eventually. You can't, I mean, I don't think you could spend a year and a half in Europe um, after saving for nine months, maybe you can, depending on your situation. Um, so we started in South America, in Argentina, and spent six months making our way up to Mexico before heading over to Europe for a couple days, and then hiking in Nepal, spending time in Southeast Asia, and ending with two months in Japan before we came home. Um, I really wanted to go to New Zealand. That was like my number one but we couldn't go to japan and new zealand we really had to choose one or the other and new zealand is far <laughs> like it, on a map it you know the the southern hemisphere doesn't look that close but it took us like a full i think two days to make it to our, down to argentina because of like all the layovers and everything that we had oh um so that was really cool yeah Pretty much it. I know, I'm sure there's like other questions that have probably come up, so you can keep them coming. What was what, so what was what the most inspiring place that you went or the place you like really had a big takeaway? Most inspiring, that's a really good question. You know, no one's ever asked me that before. People usually ask me what my favorite places are. Um, probably Nepal. Nepal is a very, very beautiful place. And I've spent a lot of time in the outdoors and hiking, backpacking. Um, but there's something really humbling about being in Nepal. And it's a, a culture that's filled with spirituality too. So there's just this about Nepal when you're outside of the city that I didn't really feel in other places. Oh, the other thing too, I can't believe I forgot to mention, um, part of the reason why we were able to make our money last so long is because we volunteered through something called Work Away. Um, so it's essentially an exchange program where you'll work for a place in exchange for a place to stay and a lot of the times they'll feed you too. So we did everything from working at a farm in Ecuador, which was like absolutely miserable. I have 
a newfound appreciation for farmers like never before because I cannot do that manual labor. We left after a week, <laughs> like so hard, such hard work. Um, we taught English in Colombia. We taught English in Vietnam and while we were in Japan too. And then we worked at a ton of hostels as well. What an incredible way to immerse yourself in the culture too because I'm assuming you when you were fed, you were fed the food of the land or the culture and the country and meeting all these people like talk about immersion i know and my favorite way to explore a country or a culture is through food um it's actually funny because i've been a vegetarian since i was 11 years old or 12 something like that um <laughs> and i eat mostly plant-based now but when i'm traveling that mostly goes out the window i don't really like the taste or texture of meat but like you learn so much about the food. You learn about the people, you learn about the land, the agriculture. Um, and you also learn about the different influences, right? Like Malaysia, I mean, it's a country in Asia. I, I wasn't really familiar with it, but it has a huge Indian population, huge Chinese population. And you have all these cuisines. And my favorite part is going around the world in different places and seeing the same influences all around the world. It really gives you some perspective into, I mean, colonialism, but also just how interconnected the world really is. That's really, really, really cool. Um, what about um, when you came back? Like how, I think it's a lot of people have a, a big concern about, you know, going away for that long and then getting a job again. Were there any concerns or like, what, did you have any issues with explaining a gap in employment like that? Or were you just like, hey, I was just exploring the world. And they were like, that's really cool. Cool. No problem. Um, what, what were your thoughts on, on that? And especially, I guess, as a pharmacist, did you feel like there were so many drugs approved in the past year and a half? I need to catch myself up on the world. Um, yeah, I think the, the part you just said about like learning drugs again, after being out of it so long, that was probably the hardest for me. I did spend some time studying, but I got really lucky. I had built very good relationships with CVS before I left. Um, yeah, very good relationships. I told my bosses what I was doing. And initially the plan was to come back to CVS and live in San Francisco for a few months and then transfer back to LA. But when I finally got in touch with my former boss, she was like, you know, it doesn't really make sense for you to work here for a few months. And then she connected me with the supervisors down here. I got really lucky, to be honest. I think my interviews with Albertsons was actually the first time I've had real pharmacist interviews, which is, it sounds re really crazy, especially today. I feel bad for the people graduating, like, in recent years because the job market just is not the same as it was five years ago. But when I was hired for CBS, I basically like flew up to San Francisco and my boss was like, look at all these cool things you can do. We have vineyards close by, Napa Valley is right there. You can go to Yosemite. And I was like, okay, I guess I got the job. And then the same thing coming back, they were just like, okay, when, when can you uh, start can working? Start. <laughs> all right, we need you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did your boyfriend end up going back to being a paraprofessional or did he stay in the, in the service industry <laughs> or did something totally different? Career? No. Yeah. He's writing. So he, he really wants to be a screenwriter. So he's doing that right now. And you know, COVID has really messed up our plan because he, we were like, okay, by June, 
you're gonna like go back into the workforce, you know, blah, blah, blah. COVID has a different plan. And I mean, I don't feel comfortable for him to just like go out and work just because at this point, I'm like, honestly, like financially we're fine. I'd rather you be safe in here and we'll worry about it later. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. When you were traveling, did you go to any pharmacies or did you see any um, like health practices? Um, I had to go to pharmacies a lot. I actually got sick so many times. Oh no. oh no. I actually, the worst, within four days of getting to Argentina, I was like, I had the worst food poisoning. And it's really weird too, because my boyfriend and I were literally eating exactly the same things, nothing different. But I was sick for like four full days before we finally went to an emergency room. Oh man, that, that was bad. And it, the irony of it all is, I mean, I'm sure it's because I just got there. I wasn't expecting to get sick in Argentina. You know, I would expect that maybe in like Cambodia, Nicaragua, you know, a place where sanitation isn't as good. Um, by the time we got to Cambodia, I was eating like lukewarm fish stew off of like the side of the road. That oh my God. The of that was very questionable and I was totally fine. Um, when I was in Malaysia, I had a full body rash. I'm pretty sure I got like ringworm somewhere in Nepal, but then going into the heat in Malaysia just made it flare up all over my body. They're, like seriously, I had splotches covering myself for like a full month. Um, so that was interesting because Malaysia is very heavy in Eastern medicine. So everyone was like, oh, here, drink these medicinal teas, eat this medicinal jello. And I, I'm trying to go to the pharmacy and also get like, terbinafine cream and I mean I was going through like one tube a day because I had to put it everywhere <laughs> so I, I've been to many pharmacies around the world actually I built a pretty good relationship with the pharmacist in Malaysia <laughs> oh my, just oh like, what do you think this could be isn't it so weird like <laughs> she's like yeah but I think that the cream should probably work and I was like yeah but what from what I'm reading it's saying that I should use it for like a full month and she's like yeah <laughs> oh my god that's that's a lot I yeah. I'm glad that you came out of it okay <laughs> yeah I mean traveling isn't all glamorous yeah I will admit by the end of it we were sick of each other like legit we were ready to come home we were I think we technically came home after 15 months um but the last two months were in Japan which was really nice we planned that on purpose too to be kind of like a transition back from like third world countries into mm -hmm. American life and it was very comfortable but there weren't many people who spoke English there and that was actually the one country where we weren't doing any volunteer work we were just teaching English online so for two months we were the only people we were talking to like each other mm. and I'm sure you can imagine like anyone who's stir crazy right now during COVID, we just kind of laugh because we're like, oh yeah, we've been been there, done that. At least we have a different room now. You know, we were like staying in a studio, living out of a backpack. Oh, <laughs> like now gosh. we can actually shut the door on each other. At least, I mean, that is a test of your relationship. And like you can leave and go to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, will, I will say, I feel very grateful for COVID now. I mean, it would be hard. I can't work from home anyway. I am just not that type of person. I need my home space to be my safe space that, that has like peace. Um, but it's good to go to work and just be like, bye, we'll see you in 12 hours. 
Yeah, to have that time, to, that time separate. I think the, the one other thing that I keep thinking about is you kind of mentioned it was about language. Did you pick up languages? Did you like, what did you do? How did you communicate? And do you speak anything else? Like, how did you, yeah, how did I, you navigate that? I speak Spanish. Um, before traveling, my Spanish was like, okay, I can understand it a lot. My mom is from Puerto Rico. Um, but I really, I practiced for like the nine months leading up to there's actually, so Duolingo is a good app to kind of learn words and grammar, but there's a, a website called italki. It's I-T-A-L-K-I. And it's a language exchange program. So you basically get on a video call with people who speak native language and um, for free, you can speak like part of the time in whatever language you're learning. And then if they want to learn English, you would just speak English the other part of the time. So I was doing that for like six months leading up to it. And it's kind of funny now because my Spanish is not Puerto Rican Spanish at all. I speak like a pretty neutral Latin American Spanish. Um, that was what got us through most of South and Central America. Although I am proud of my boyfriend. At one time I, I had to leave to come home because my best friend's mom had passed away. And he was able to get himself from Nicaragua, which has zero tourist infrastructure, to Guatemala all by himself. I was so proud. Proud. And, he doesn't, and he doesn't speak Spanish. No. Good no. for him. I know. Strong and independent man. <laughs> <laughs> we need more. Oh, and then uh, for Japan, actually, we did learn how to read hiragana. There's three alphabets in um, in the Japanese language. There's katakana, hiragana, and I forget the third one. But we learned how to read hiragana, which made it really easy to navigate because we basically took like public trains everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say in Japan, like people are so nice and willing to help tourists. Like if we were, went to a huge train station in the middle of Tokyo, the train worker would walk us and escort us to the right platform. So I was like, oh, that's really sweet. That's lovely. Yeah. At one point we were in a very like random town in the middle of nowhere. That was just locals essentially. Um, and there were like four or five people trying to help us find our Airbnb. <laughs> oh, everyone like walked out of their houses to walk around. <laughs> well, come on, and, come on and help. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. I wish we, we were a little bit more like that and said, you know, at least in New England, we were just like, yeah, we would be peeking out of the window being like, who is that? Yeah, who's that? <laughs> yeah, what are they doing? Huh? Taking a video, sending it to our oh friends. Oh my god! In Maine, they'd be like, "What?" Honking at you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. So I think during the um, the panel, you mentioned that you worked on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yes, I did. Now I'm right. like a mile from there. So, right. Yeah. So I know that there are some crazy characters on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Do you have any, like, what is your, has the, like, Spider-Man come into the pharmacy? Like, like what kind of, what kind of crazy stories from that walk of fame can you share? Um, I mean, we often have people coming in dressed in costume. It's, I mean, the thing that I like about LA is that people can make money doing 
anything and no one bothers them, right? Mm -hmm. Like you'll have a, a lady selling fruit on the side of the road, like whatever, sell your fruit. Men dressed up in superhero costumes on the hall, uh, walk of fame being like, take a picture, $5. And right. Cool. Um, I actually have the worst, <laughs> I mean, I keep saying the worst week of my life, but then I think back to all of the horrible weeks I've had in 2020 in a pharmacy, which have all been the worst weeks of my life. Um, the last week of work was the worst one that I've had, and I think ever. So I've had this weird man who was coming into the pharmacy and like harassing me for about a month prior to that. And he wasn't aggressive at all, but he just wouldn't leave me alone. I had already filed a complaint with my supervisor. I had sent it to the HR department to make sure I had everything documented. So he came in at one point. Um, There's another man who was angry. I wouldn't fill a prescription for him. And I had to call the police on him and file a police report. Oh and he goodness. tried like throwing a phone at me and was um, punching his hand saying that he was going to make me pay. He was going to come find me. Um, so I actually had to be removed from my store after that. And then there was another man. This is all in the same week, like literally in a three day span. Another man was definitely had some sort of severe mental illness and was paranoid. You could tell he was out of it. He had been wandering around the store for a long time. And at one point he leaned over the pharmacy counter and it's me and my technician. And he goes, if they shoot at me, I'm climbing over here. We were like, Um, he actually went and grabbed hammers from the front store and tried to climb into the pharmacy. He like, wait a minute. Why do you have hammers in your store? Like for sale? I don't even know where they came from. I don't know why we sell them. Who's buying hammers at CVS? I don't think C. I don't think CVS is around here have hammers. Yeah, it's a Home weird. Depot thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh so I feel like that was my sign from the universe that I am on. The you way made the right. Back. Yeah, you made the right decision. It's time to move. Yeah, and I think the the thing that sucked is that I walked to and from work every day. Mm-hmm. But I mean, after the, the first incident, I, I stopped walking. I was like, I know this is like a 10 minute walk, but I don't care. I'm not risking someone following me home. It is not worth Absolutely. it. And no. Yeah. It's a scary world. Was there a lot of traffic on the Hollywood Bowl? Um, well, not anymore. <laughs> there, okay. there usually is, though. Yeah. 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 Usually. I'm sure the amount of tourists is down, way down, too. Yeah, totally. But yeah, but that's the problem because that's the all the only people left are like the sketchy people and the mm. weirdos. <laughs> and then and then there's nobody to take pictures with Spider Man and Superman and Batman and all the other friends. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Um, so something that you have, I think, uh, the ability to do in California is uh, as a pharmacist, prescribe birth control. Is that right? Yep. So yeah, can you? Years, actually. <laughs> yeah. Maybe tell us a little bit more about that. I'm sure it might, you know, start coming up a little bit more um, throughout the rest of the country. But uh, like, what's your experience with that? What kind of training did you get? Um, how's your experience, I guess, been? Um, I think we actually only had online, like continuing education, from what I remember correctly. And granted, I think I was certified in maybe 2015, 2016. So it's been a while. Maybe it has updated since then, but basically um, the way it works in California is we have a protocol um, 
that allows the pharmacist to actually be the prescriber. So in other states, you might have a, a standing, um, standing protocol with a doctor who's like the designated prescriber. Here, we just have patients fill out a form. They're not eligible for birth control if they have state insurance, which kind of sucks. But unfortunately, that's like an automatic, you can't get it. Um, you do have to take their blood pressure, and if their blood pressure is too high, then they may only be eligible for certain types of birth control, like the progesterone-only ones. Um, the, I have experienced some women whose blood pressure was too high. I mean, honestly, the most, most of the time when women are coming in, they already are on birth control. So you usually don't have to do as much counseling on you know, deciding what birth control is the right one for them. It's usually just like, hey, I haven't been able to make it into my doctor. Can, can you help me here? So I think it was like $40 for a year. But you use your discretion in terms of how many refills to prescribe them. You can do up to a year. Generally, I will only give them enough until their next appointment. So if they're like, I haven't seen a doctor in two years, I'm like, you have to see a, a gynecologist. This isn't a replacement for your normal PCP. So I'll give you like two or three months worth of medication. After that point, you have to come back for reevaluation. They don't have to pay the fee again, um, but you would have to like take their blood pressure again and do that sort of thing. Yeah, there's just so many birth control, birth control. types. Like all of the girl name birth controls, Balziva, Jolessa, Apri, Yasmin, uh, yeah, Yaz, Kariva, Kales. I don't even know if I'm. I don't even know if these Brintec. are birth control. <laughs> these are. I don't even know if these are still birth controls. But how? I don't. Even, I, how do you? The only thing I have birth control to me is like a foreign land. Way too confusing. Um, and I have the wheel of birth control. I think it's from the who um, that's like, if you have migraines, if you are on an anticonvulsant, if you um, I can't remember all the other things that are on there. Um, but then it like, will tell you what you can, what you can prescribe. Do you use something like that? Or is this, are these mainly just like basic? And then I keep non-smokers. Jesse, you'll know what I'm talking about from Jennifer Goldman, <laughs> the dicky table where it's like the table and it's all the different ones and it's like your levels. <laughs> I remember that too. You know, I had actually asked a student from MCP. I couldn't remember the name of it. I'm really glad you said that. Um, and they had no idea what I was talking about. And I'm like, oh, are you not paying attention in class? That oh my gosh, they aren't because she says that. I don't know. This is one of our professors for everyone listening, therapeutics. She's a preceptor. Yeah, it's the Dicky table. That's the man's name. We're not being fresh, but yeah. <laughs> Naturally, named after man. Um, of course, that makes True. all the sense. Yeah, of course. We have a chart. So, like, it sounds daunting, and, it, like, it does sound overwhelming if you're like, oh, am I supposed to just, like, choose a random birth control? But there's literally a chart that's, like, almost, like, foolproof. You can it, – it basically, like, gives you the options. I mean – it will tell you who is eligible for like progesterone only and maybe you do have to decide like what combination pill someone is on but most of the time it's going to be refills right so it's just the same thing that they were on before mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i don't think i've actually ever prescribed a new birth control to someone most of the time when i'm um when i've gotten patients i've gotten a lot of people traveling from um 
from other countries and they'll like they'll show me their birth control from their country so sometimes i'll have to like take the time to figure out what our version of that is but it's it sounds more stressful than it is <laughs> okay. maybe i'm just like freaking out about it yeah I, don't, I, I also don't work in a pharmacy so i don't i wouldn't be doing it but it just still worries me on my end like i would be doing it but i'm not do you do the blood pressure manually like with the cuff with a sphygmomanometer yeah, oh, we have oh, sorry. We have an automatic cough. Oh, okay. Perfect. <laughs> sorry, I was saying sphygmomanometer. Sphygmomanometer. <laughs> and it, it, it blocked you from talking. Um, what else? Is there anything else? I feel like... Oh, yeah. Any other fun... Do you do like point of care? Yeah, point of care testing? Ooh. Cholesterol or something? I, I'm actually a point of care certified trainer nationally. So... I got trained for this, I think, like, right after I got licensed. So this must have been 2015, I think. Maybe 2014, even. Um, but I'm actually, I'm sad because I've never had to use it. And I've told all of my districts, we just don't have the pilot program for the point-of-care testing um, in any of the areas that I've been. Although, I've told my boss so many times, I'm like, we're on the, hall, the, the walk of fame. That's the perfect place to have something of, like this, right? Because pe people would be cash paying. Um, it's something like really quick, you know, especially if, if people during flu season, you can do flu testing. Um, and if you have a standing, uh, standing collaborative agreement with a doctor, you know, if someone's positive for the flu, then you give them some uh, Tamiflu. Mm -hmm. Very easy. So I haven't gotten to use it, which kind of stinks. The other thing is that um, working at Albertsons, they actually pay for like any of the certifications that you want. In California, we have a lot. There's an MTM certification. Um, there is travel medicine prescribing, which is something that I'm, I wanna do. And I'm very familiar with ab after traveling, of course. I could, people can tell me a country and at this point, I'm like, oh yeah, you probably need like X, Y, Z. You'll need like, a whole tub of terbenafine. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, the other really cool thing that we do here, which I still have to get certified for, um, is intramuscular injections for um, long-acting antipsychotics. Um, I don't really know what other states do that. I've heard of it. I think Massachusetts just started allowing it because, um, so I also work for Albertsons, but um, in Massachusetts, I think they had to train their pharmacists because they could start. Yeah, I've definitely heard of it. I just don't know where it is. Yeah, I hope I actually have some like more training because I mean, I already did the like virtual training, but I'm like, is this it? Because I'm afraid I'm going to hit like the wrong thing on someone. You know, it's a little more intensive than just doing a flu shot or something. Yeah. Um, but I think that's an awesome thing, especially for being in here. There's a, a lot of mental illness, especially in our homeless population here. So having a long-acting uh, antipsychotic and access to someone administering it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, if they can just walk in every couple weeks and just get another one, that'd be so easy. Mm -hmm. That'd be really great. Um, I think that's, I mean, countrywide, you know, not just in, in California, but... That'd be really awesome. I had a really traumatic first time that I gave a flu shot where I went to inject it as a student and all of the liquid came out around 
and down her arm. And the pharmacist was like very upset with me. And I was like, I, I didn't, I, I don't know what I did wrong. Um, come to find out like a little later after she was very upset with me for doing nothing wrong. Um, they were faulty needles and like, so then we weren't sure we had to call the patient's doctor and like figure out, should we give another flu shot or what? Because we didn't think any liquid got in there. Um, and so, yeah, come to find out the needle, like where it attaches to the, I don't know, the, the bevel, not the bevel, yeah, the, the, you know, the little screw mm -hmm. part to the liquid plunger thing. Um, it was just faulty. And so as soon as I hit it, it just went right around the needle. So like nothing got in there and, so it wasn't my fault at all, but it really traumatized me. And she was so mad at me for something that wasn't my fault. And it just seems like this is why I went into AMP care. And this is why I don't do that. But I don't yeah, know. I was going to say, even if it was your fault, like that's literally what you're there for. I will never understand. And that's one of the things that I love about being in retail pharmacy. I feel like it gets a lot of bad rap a lot of the time. And I mean, it's, Sometimes it's accurate because you have pharmacists who, who don't really put in the effort with students, but an intern is there to learn. They're there to make mistakes and help them through that, help them figure it out. You know, I've seen, I think I was with a pharmacist on her first shift when I was, I was an intern at the time and she forgot to put the needle on her first flu shot. So a similar thing happened where like all the liquid came out and she was so nervous, but like people make mistakes. It's going to happen. And it doesn't yeah. mean that you have to slip out of them. You know, how no. are you going to learn? Exactly. And I, yeah, it's, I think you're right. I think some people are really there and excited to teach too. And some people mm -hmm. are, are not. And if you get, you know, jaded pharmacists and people who are burnt out and over it, then they're not like willing to teach and willing to help you. And they kind of just, you know, we'll question why are you helping people in the aisle just seeing all the time, get back here and fill the prescriptions. I'm like, but this is what I like. I like talking to people. Well, there's a lot of prescriptions you need to fill. Um, so it's like that kind of like mentality that, you know, can easily turn a student, especially a learner off to a certain, you know, and that's, that's not just community pharmacy. That's, you know, an ICU, that's an ED, that's anywhere that, you know, you have a a learner um, and you've got like a, a burnt out or jaded you know person that's assigned a learner but isn't mentally you know prepared for a learner so it's it's a lot to to go through were you a preceptor when you were a pharmacy manager jesse i was in san francisco and they would not give me students in la I was like, I'm so frustrated by it. I'm still bad about it, actually. Um, I'm, I'm over it now. It's not not my problem anymore. But yeah, in San Francisco, I had a lot. I had students from UCF, UCSF, students from Toro, North State, UOP, um, coming in all the time, and I loved it. In Los Angeles, the only pharmacy school that's close by is USC, which is in downtown LA. And unfortunately, due to the traffic, students really don't like coming out to Hollywood. I mean, right now the traffic isn't bad. I actually recently had a call with Lambda Chapter because I'm helping them start up their alumni chapter. Um, so I spoke to a couple of their students and they're, they kind of laughed when I mentioned that. They were like, yeah, Hollywood's far. <laughs> but how far, like how far is it? 
really not that far. Like in a car, it's probably like 30 minutes without traffic. Mm-hmm. I mean, in traffic, that could be like an hour and a half, realistically. Oh. Mm. But I don't know, just do it. I, I feel like people did it when I was in a pharmacy. School. Oh, yeah. They were driving all over in Boston traffic. Like, exactly. It's, yeah, it's just driving me crazy. And it's, it's six weeks. Right. <laughs> For an experience. Like, just with someone who will give you the good experience. Exactly. This is all for you, Lambda chapter, <laughs> for Jessica Crowley on your preceptor list. Yeah. So should we transition to LKS stuff? Just yeah, now? I mean, while we're already talking about it, we're let's already do talking it. it. Yeah, Jesse, give us your LKS elevator pitch. What's your LKS? Yeah. Um, why I joined LKS. You know, Irene Lee. I see you, Irene. She was the one who actually got me to um, to join LKS and go to recruitment events. I was kind of hesitant. I was like, I'm not really interested in this stuff. Um, but after meeting the sisters and then listening to what the organization was about, um, I was really interested in the professionalism, all those opportunities. And I thought the sisters were really genuine. So here I am. What, when did I orientate? 2009? I yeah. believe it was 2009 from yeah. my 2009. experience. I can't, I can't remember. So it's been a while. Oh, it makes <laughs> me feel so old. But when did you orientate? 2006. Oh my gosh, that's not even that. that I know, but it just like, I don't know. Every, every once in a while, I just feel, I feel... 27. <laughs> like if somebody said, how old are you? I say 27. Like that's my go-to. And then every once in a while I get a shock of reality. I'm like, oh no, I'm 27 anymore. I don't know why 27 is my go-to. It wasn't even, I don't even remember that year. I don't even know what I did. It wasn't like a great year for me. It's just like, just what, what, what happens? I was gonna say I actually have a hard time remembering how old I am most of the time and I remember it now because I turned 30 this year like 30 is easy for me to remember 25 easy to remember you know anything in between then it's just like a big blur Blur. (laughs) yeah yeah when you get to the point where you're calculating I'm like 20 I was born (laughs) actually I I, actually this whole time I just thought I was 32 and I'm 33 (laughs) Just because I calculated. Man. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. Really bad. It makes, it just, I don't know, it just makes me feel a lot older. Anyways, um, so what were you, when you were in LKS as a collegiate, um, what, how were you, in, what were you involved in? Um, any kind of committee work? Did you attend convention? Yeah, so I attended, let's see, Hartford. I attended Detroit. And I think the only other one I did before the virtual convention was Boston. I think, yeah, I remember there being San Diego and everyone was excited about that, but it was a little too expensive for my blood back in the day. Um, And ironically enough, I had never been to California yet at that point, so. (laughs) I have the tables have turned. Yeah. I don't think I was on any committees. I think the only office I held was VP, which is the recruitment officer of the Alpha chapter. 
Um, and I did that during my fourth year. I will be completely honest though. I, that was a bad year for me. I was completely overwhelmed. Um, I was very involved in a lot of things on campus. I started our LGBTQ club when I was a first year. I was doing um, research with our pathophysiology professor um, just on the side with uh, Dr. Albers. And eventually I ended up doing the summer undergraduate research fellowship, so SURF. In addition to that, I was working at CVS. During my fourth year, I also got hired at Children's Hospital. Um, and I was working in PLS and Phylum to Sigma. I got inducted to that my second year, I think. At the time, they were actually inducting people um, at that point, but now they're only doing professional years. So I had too much going on. I, didn't, I think I lost more than 10% of my body weight in a, a single semester. I just like couldn't absorb any food. Um, but that was my hard lesson in learning about balance learning how to say no and put your energy into one thing. You know, it's, I am the type of person who wants to do everything. I want to try making pottery. I want to go foraging. I want to try fermenting. I want to take dance classes. I want to do circus classes. But if I go in all those directions, there's like, it's just chaos, right? So that was my hard lesson. I loved it. I love my kids. Um, it was an amazing experience, but I was burnt out after that year. No lie. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Sarah to ask about self-care. <laughs> yeah, so I guess going off of that, it sounds like one of the things you learned was self-care. So, and one of the questions we also have on our list is what did you learn from LKS that you brought with your life with you? So this might be your answer, but there might be others too. I think I have to think about that a little bit. Well, first and foremost, balance was definitely the thing. So self-care, um, but just like learning to limit the amount of things that you have on your plate. That was it more than anything, because to be honest with you, I don't think I was practicing self-care at all when I was in college. I didn't learn how to do that until after I graduated. Um, I hope this resonates to some, some collegiates because being in college is really weird. You're in a bubble and you're like technically an adult, but are you really? And especially at, at MCP, because it's a straight six year program, like we start it so young. Um, and I never really learned those things until afterwards. And then coming to California, seeing how beautiful the state was and all the nature, it just made me want to be outside all the time. Oh, one of the things actually, that I started doing after fourth year in that, that stressful year, um, which is also thank you to, to LKS, was running. I am now a marathon runner. I, I grew up and I was smoking at like 15 years old, pack a day for like four years. I could not run a mile straight. And I finished two marathons. The last one I finished in three hours and 46 minutes which is like only 15 minutes off the Boston qualifying time, which is huge. I was like, not expecting that. I had shaved like 50 minutes off of my previous marathon time. That's, That's right, amazing. you ran the marathon. You ran the Boston marathon. I did run the Boston marathon. I didn't qualify when I ran. I did it with the American Liver Foundation. Um, so I raised $5,000 in order to run, um, but, 
after that, I was like, okay, I really want to qualify. And I think I can. I was hoping to run a marathon this year, but not going to do that. Yeah, they did the, the marathon this year virtually. So I think you I'm know, sure there were a lot of really disappointed people kind of, totally, that qualified that couldn't run. What yeah, I think, they, I think it was this last weekend, and I feel bad. Yeah. You know, it's tough. I've watched it a couple times in, like, the torrential rains. Um, but it's always really inspiring to watch any marathon. I mean, I can pretty much barely run a mile, but, um, to me, I, I don't think anyone's body is meant to run a marathon. If you need to replace your electrolytes, then you've run too far. So I don't push my body that far, but I give many people props for their marathon running. Just, I can't do it and I have no desire, but like the ability for people to push their body that far blows my mind so you're amazing that's fantastic and, and there's so much about um like endurance discipline, discipline yeah. yes oh my god and mind over matter mindset yeah. that's yeah so I much that's, that's what i love about running so much because i am naturally like i said i'm all over the place i want to do everything and running really channels my energy. It makes me focus. I think that's actually why I like being a pharmacy manager too, so much too, because like in my home life, I'm this free spirit, I'm laid back, whatever. As a manager, I'm, I've had to adapt to be very type A, meticulous with my work. Um, and so I, I have finally struck that balance, but it took a long time to go to get there and to learn those things. But I, I learned, I think that that's part of why that fourth year was so bad because during part of it, I felt like I was losing myself too and losing my identity. I felt like I had to change to be professional, whatever that meant. Um, and I realized that I didn't have to choose between those things. You know, I can still be successful. I can still be driven in my career and professional and still be fun and bubbly and travel the world if I want to. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, one question I had was where do you see growth for LKS? Like where do you see LKS going for the future? If you could. Do you mean like, what do I see as something that LKS needs to work on or something? Yeah, uh, sure. Whatever feels right. I, I mean, I would love to see LKS use the movement from this year and George Floyd's death and Breonna Taylor's death as momentum to start discussions about healthcare disparities. I think that really needs to be at the forefront. It's something that I almost never learned. I think the entire time that I was in school, I was actually just talking to my cousin because, um, there was this birth control trial that happened in Puerto Rico where an American company was offering birth control to women, but they didn't tell them it was experimental. And the alternative was these women would either be sterilized or they would become pregnant. And this happened in my mom's hometown. And my, my whole family is from that town. I've asked every person in my family if they've heard of this not one person has ever heard of it and I remember I think I learned it in passing maybe in my women's health class 
But it's things like this we have to talk about because there's so much of American history that we just don't learn. And as healthcare professionals, we really need to do the work that wasn't presented to us at the time that we were in school. And I think we owe it to our patients too, to have a better understanding. You know, there's a reason why a lot of black patients don't trust healthcare professionals and other um, minority groups. And it's because we've used them as experiments throughout American history. Mm-hmm. And when you start to understand that you, are able to interact with your patients in a different way. So that is my my hope. I don't know really what that looks like in terms of like an action plan. Kind of hard to do on a national level, I think. Well, I think we've made one small step in that, in moving that forward, which is that is our women's health initiative going forward for the next biennium. Um, what kind of programming we have for that is yet to be determined. But um, I think that obviously like that is going to be, it's going to be really important to, I think, teach what that means. Cause I think a lot of people are confused on what the statement even means um, when it comes to health disparities. Um, and so, you know, understanding what that means, how to present that, how to, you know, market that and, and um, you know, f- either find speakers or, you know, do this kind of additional research and, and find, um, you know, how, how we can better interact with, with all of our patients, I think is going to be really important. So it'll be interesting to see, I think, what um, the Women's Health Initiative Committee comes up with um, and what all the different chapters also develop on their own for their Women's Health Initiative events that they'll have over the next biennium. So I'm really, I think that that was, that was one like baby step forward that kind of aligns with what you're thinking um, that, you know, we've already made solid. We'll see how it kind of develops over the next two years, but we shall see. Yeah, we shall see. I think um, the other thing too is, I know this is like uncharted territory. Um, So it's hard because I think people really need guidance for this and it might, I know, I I think the fraternity was looking to hire someone for guidance, um, but I almost think we need like a group of people, right? It's a lot of work. It's not easy. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot still to be determined. Obviously the work is never done. Um, And so I think it'll be, um, you know, just important for us to continue the conversation, not let that drop and uh, continue working towards something eventually, you know, over the next, all the years. It's not going to stop after two years. So it'll just be a continuous conversation that, that needs to happen. It's really important. Appreciate your perspective too. It's so important. Um, and I think, I know we were talking about RBG before, but we can just silently pour one out for her. Yeah. I don't know when this will actually get published for Lamp Talks, but RBG. 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 That's all I'll say. <laughs> great. Great woman. Paved, paved lots of ways for lots of people. All right. Well, I think... Is that, is that all we have? I think we've hit our, hit our points. Is there anything yeah. you wanted to add, Jesse, or anything you wanted to leave the sisters with? 
Um, I mean, I guess the only thing is as a person recruiting for Lambda chapter alumni, if anyone is in the SoCal area, you know, hit me up. We are looking for people to join the Lambda alumni chapter. There you go. And I think the best thing about COVID is gotten us very comfortable with using Zoom. So, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to to zoom into alumni meetings or zoom into even the collegiate meetings as an alumni member um, to participate in some sort of panel, I think is really opening the doors for a lot more um, opportunity. So even if you don't live, you know, you live an hour and a half or whatever, you know, you're not in Hollywood. Exactly. All that, the, the highways, byways and in California um, creates an issue for you. You can still, join and participate and uh, be involved mm-hmm. that's really yeah and if you are a chapter that's not lambda collegiate but you have sisters who have moved to the socal area they certainly can still join the lambda alumni chapter and if you are in a different area of the country and you have six or more friends in that area from lks reach out to robin Hating, and we will also work or, i'm sorry not robin reach out to lashana um, and Robin, actually, and um, we'll work on seeing what we can do about getting an alumni chapter started in your neck of the woods. <laughs> I feel like that should be a commercial. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sponsored by the Alumni Networking Committee. <laughs> awesome. Well, it was so great having you, um, being able to talk to you one-on-one, um, or two-on-one, I guess. Um, but it was really <laughs> yeah, nice having you share on your whole umbrella of life. Yes. And now I just want to travel the world and quit my job. Do it. I encourage everyone to do it. I promise you, your student loans are still going to be there. They're not going every, anywhere. So just live your life a little bit. You know, you're alive right now. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Well, thank you, Jesse. All right. Appreciate both of you. Thank you. You're so thank welcome. You Justine, are you ready to travel the globe? I am. I am ready to quit my job, pack my bags, and hit the road. Well, we gotta start saving. Well, and COVID needs to go away. (laughs) COVID needs to go. So use COVID to save your money, and then the pharmacists of the world will be traveling the world. You can share with your chapter. You can email me and Justine. You can tweet us. You can DM us. Call me me if you want to reach me. And we'll see you in two shakes of a lamb's tail. Bye.